Today we're going to come back into this subject of baptism. And so during the course of this week, I was trying to think, um, we, we know that baptism is this defining moment. And we know that there's things about it that are supposed to stand out and things that we remember that, that this, this hallmark in our life, this point we came to and there was a past and then before it was something. I was trying to think of all the good examples, but, but I came up with a few that you might like that might be fun. Since I grew up in the church and I grew up in very large Southern Baptist churches, we always had a baptistry. And uh, fun story, the, the baptistry is where you would go on Sunday mornings and you come down in and you get baptized in that in front of the church. Now, how many of you can relate and you've seen baptistries in churches? Okay, so um, the church I was growing up in, we had, a, we had a, a janitor, I guess you would call it, a superintendent, and his name was Mr. Revis. And so this is the story of Mr. Revis and the lobster bowl. Uh, so Mr. Revis would always come in on Saturday nights and he would, he would run the water for the baptistry and make sure it's just right and the levels are right and the people would come in. And these are the days when the, the pastor would wear the overalls, you know, like the hip waders and then have the, the fake coat over top of it and he would baptize folks. You remember? No? Okay, just me. Well, and um, this one particular Sunday, the, Mr. Revis was out of town, and so a volunteer forgot to run the water on Saturday night. So the volunteer came in Sunday morning, was like, whoa, and they went downstairs, and they turned the water on, and it sure enough filled the baptistry up, and it came to the level it's supposed to be, and they turned it off okay. But what the volunteer didn't know is that that's the hot water knob. And so we basically had a near-boiling level of water. Have you ever been to the health club, and you go get in the hot tub right out of the pool, and how hot that seems? Yeah, we're ready to boil lobsters in this stuff this Sunday morning. So the pastor walks in, and it's about the third step in when he realizes, oh, no. Um, and, but, he, but he's a good sport, so he gets down into, into the water, and he moves to the middle. And it's too late to stop because the people are already coming down the other side. And the first three were in the water when they realized, oh, no. And so they, there was about 10 that were supposed to be baptized that day. They did three in a real hurry and then said, we're going to come back next week, brothers and sisters, and finish this up. Zoom, and they go out of the room. And nobody complained. So I remember that as being funny growing up. I also um, remember when uh, Kim and I had first gotten to Brazil, we were, we were involved in a baptism there at, um, at, at the river. And so in Brazil, the tradition is that you candidate for a year before you're baptized. Not recommending it here, but that's how we did it there. And so we would gather at the river. And everybody would sing, and it would just be this a cappella song service with just hundreds of people just singing at the top of their lungs the favorite songs of the people who are about to be baptized. It was so beautiful. And we were there that year, and we were watching it happen, and the, they're all in their white robes with their hair pulled back, and they're lining up, getting ready to come into the river. And as we're all singing, Kim and I, Kim's and my attention were drawn to this weird thing going on. It seems that some people had gone into the river ahead of time with these big rake-looking things, and they're doing this, you know, all in the water before the Baptist. And we were looking at it, and I asked my God, I said, uh, uh, what is, what's going on over here? And he says, uh, oh, anaconda. So they have to make sure there's no snakes that will eat you while you're being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, you know, here I remember something else that was special, and you might remember this with me. Uh, Don's not here this morning, but about four years ago, Don wanted to be baptized. Don's in an electric wheelchair, though. Don's a paraplegic and couldn't get out into the water on his own, but he desperately wanted to be able to be baptized. And so some heads all got together. How can we do it? How can we do it? Remember what some people did is they went down to Green Bay and they got some plywood and they came up and we, we were going to put the plywood out into the bay so that we could take Don out and some other folks volunteered and they got 
um, a manual wheelchair to be able to roll Don out so we could baptize Don. It was a really, really beautiful day. And so as we're getting ready, the, the, the boards were down and Don gets ready to roll out and we're ready. And this is when we realized that there, there's a problem of physics. And that's that wood is in fact buoyant. And so as Don tries to go out, the, the, all the, the boards started to come up. Ah! And so others are going out there, and they're trying to hold the boards down. And we were able to do it. It was great. And we got to baptize Don, and, and it was a really neat memory. And not far behind that is a memory when Phil, right here, I'm not going to look at him or I'll lose it. But uh, Phil was ready to be baptized. And it was a day in my friend's life when old Phil was gone, and it was time for new Phil. And Phil wanted to be baptized and for that to be that milestone in his life. And that was a really, really important day. I'm not going to get you, I told you I wouldn't, uh, to, to baptize Phil. And what was cool about that day is what it meant for Phil. What was nerve-wracking about it is that Phil's a bit more stout than I am. And so I figured if I lose it, we're both going in. There's no way I can pull him back up. But it, it worked out and it was okay. And then the baptism of my daughter I got to do here. Folks, baptism should be a defining moment in your life, whether it's the funny stories we chuckle at or the really important ones we remember and go, that was a turning point. That's a milestone. What baptism should always be is this, a defining moment in our life where we are signifying to everyone around us this inward decision that's led to this outward act of obedience. It's an act of repentance and a sanctification that the followers of Jesus Christ do in the name of our Lord. And we all do this. And among us are billions of brothers and sisters who have done this act, defining moment in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to identify with our Savior. So what I wanted to do today was answer some questions that are kind of important. When we say baptism or baptize, we should all say and mean exactly the same things. But what we have to realize is that in our 21st century environment, that's not always the case because sometimes when one person says baptism, they might mean something a little different nuancically or theologically or physically than you might mean. And as it turns out, there's a reason for that, not just human tradition, but also the fact that throughout history, beginning in the intertestamental period prior to the New Testament and John the Baptist, the word baptism had several different meanings and connotations. Connotations means the way we interpret it or use it in our contexts. And so I have always said that right understanding matters. Uh, If you go uh, mushroom picking and you don't know what you're doing, you could really create some damage to yourself or others. So it's important that you know what you're doing. So when we say baptize, we should be saying the same thing. So I want to look this morning uh, at the seven baptisms in the Scripture. There's seven types of baptisms we see in the New Testament Scriptures. These are God's words with human accents. And as we read them, what we need to understand is this is the holy and inerrant and infallible Word of God that we need to interpret and apply accurately. And as a people of the Word, we're going to to do that this morning. Now let's start with just the basic thing we all need to understand. The word baptizimo or baptize is a bar word from the Greek language. It's not an English word. And in the Greek language, what baptism, baptizio means is to completely immerse. That is to say, to make whelmed in water. So water in particular is what we're talking about. So when we say to baptize, what they're talking about is a complete and total immersion into water and then a coming out. An example we might use is cookie dunking. 
Okay, you with me? How many of you understand, as do I, that the shape of the coffee cup and the shape of the cookie are specifically designed for the dunking action? Okay, (laughs) who would eat an undunked cookie? It's just uncivilized. And so what you understand is you take the cookie and you dunk it and you get that little part soft. That way, when you bite it, you get all the wholesome nutrition of milk right? And then you get the deliciousness of the cookie, depending on who cooked it, right? And so together it's perfection. And so when you dip the cookie, this is a dipping action. But if you were to baptize, in the Greek word, the cookie, what am I going to do with said cookie? All the way in. There's no more air for cookie, except where your fingers are touching it, perhaps. It's all the way under the milk, and when it comes out, it's all soft and delicious, and it is now completely transformed into the perfect delicious piece of food. How good an example did I just drop on the church? Now look, when you're baptized, what we're asking and trying to understand by the use of the Greek word and its application today is somebody being completely whelmed in Jesus Christ, completely covered and submerged. One last illustration just to get our brains around. I forgot to do this in the first service. Talk on it. Um, when I was teaching at boys camp growing up, we had this lake called Moose Lake or Far Lake, depending on how old you were. And Moose Lake was this really still lake that was fed by a spring from underneath. It was crystal clear. It was nice and cold. And at nights, it was just glassy smooth. One of my favorite things to do when I had some time at camp is go out about midnight or one o'clock when nobody's moving and it's quiet and the moon was up and the glassy smooth Moose Lake. I used to like to go out in the canoe and just, just slide into the water and I had a, we had these little neoprene bricks. If you're a lifeguard, you remember those. And you're going, no, not the brick. But I would take the brick and just hang on to it. And I would just drop down into the water just real smooth. And you could sink down about 12, 15 feet. And it was fun to just lay there for a minute or so in just complete silence. And the clear water and the sky up above. And just it was complete immersion in, in that water. Nothing's getting to you. There's no dry, there's no sounds, there's nothing, and it's just this surreal moment. That's being baptized. You're completely surrounded in something. And when you come up out of the water, you, you know, you're clean, you're wet, you've, you've changed, something's different from where you were to where you are. So in Scripture, as we hear this word baptism, I want you to consider being completely whelmed or immersed. So let's look at the seven instances of baptism in the Scripture and find out what does Paul mean in Ephesians 4, 6 when he says there is one baptism into which we are all baptized. What is he talking about? Well, the first baptism we'll see in Scripture is going to be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Say, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 1 through 2, and this is going to be the baptism of Moses. It reads exactly like this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and this rock was Christ. So the baptism of Moses that we hear here is one where the children of Israel, having come out of slavery in Egypt, are becoming identified as not the people who are slaves, but the people of Yahweh. They have come through the sea. They have left one bank behind. They've come through the sea and now are on the others. Instead of on the other bank, they are no longer Hebrew slaves. They are now Israel, the people of God. That was the baptism of Moses. So here's the question. 
Is that the baptism that Paul is speaking of in Ephesians 4 when he says all of us are baptized into one baptism? Are we today following Jesus' command to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost by being baptized in the baptism of Moses? Yes or no? No. You see, that is a baptism, isn't it? It's completely immersed into that sea on dry land, and then coming out the other side different. But that's not the baptism the church is called to. So the next baptism is in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verses 38 through 39 reads like this. Jesus spoke to them saying, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism which I am being baptized? And the disciples said to him, we are able And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized as well. Oops. So what is the baptism here? This is the baptism of suffering. The baptism of suffering demonstrates and it experiences both suffering and shame, and it is associated with the death of Jesus. That is a really complicated phrase. I probably should have done that differently. Let me try again. The suffering and shame associated with the death of Jesus. There we go. This is being whelmed and immersed in the pain and dishonor of injustice. And what the baptism of suffering is talking about is how those who are followers of Jesus will share in the suffering that comes from being a follower of Jesus. That might mean the baptism of the cross, which is what many in his day experienced. They were crucified. All, well, Many of the apostles following even, and, and the great example of Peter, followed Jesus in crucifixion and death. But today that's quite unlikely, unless you just live in an ISIS house or something. What we're talking about today would be this. Those of us who may suffer for the cause of Christ, and suffering today, quite different than in Jesus' day, might just mean you get ribbed at school or you you don't quite get the promotion at work, or or buckle your seatbelts, you may not be able to take the job you kind of want because it would contradict with your faith or require you to contradict what Christians do. And so sometimes we have to say, my suffering for Christ is that either financially or vocationally, I may need to make, a, a, or, or even socially, make a decision for Jesus that would cost me something, and that would be the baptism of suffering. So are all of us today following Paul's words in the one baptism that all of us would be expecting by being crucified with Jesus Christ. Is that the baptism that we're called to do? Not necessarily. Now, we may be called to suffer for our faith, but that's not what Paul was talking about when he said all of us, because the fact of the matter is you can have a great relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and spend eternity with him without ever having to be crucified. To which we all say, whew, but you may have to pay a price for your salvation and for your, for your following of Jesus at some point in time. So, so that's what we would, uh, would, would mark as, as, a, as a determining factor there. So the next one we'll look at is found in the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Another baptism, the baptism of John. So Mark, chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. This, is, um, this reads like this, John appeared. 
baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Mark, we, we encounter John, who is calling people to follow in the repentance and the forgiveness of sin for the purpose of being prepared for the Messiah. Listen, for the forgiveness of sin... And for the purpose of being prepared for the Messiah. You see, John was an Essene, and what John was doing was calling people to step away from the teaching of the Pharisees and the legalism of the law, and to step into a place of following God with all of your heart and being prepared for the Messiah that was yet to come. That was the baptism of John. So church, let me ask you today, is that the baptism to which Paul is referring, that we're awaiting a Messiah and preparing ourselves for it? No. So it it looks at this point that we've gone through three already that aren't quite the baptism of which he speaks. So let's try again. How about the baptism of Jesus found in Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17? It reads like this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. But Jesus answered his cousin, saying, Let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on Jesus. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." When Jesus was baptized by John, it was to fulfill all righteousness. And what was happening at that moment in history is that Jesus was indicating to all that his time of being just a man and the son of a carpenter had come to an end, and the time of him being the Christ, the Messiah, his earthly ministry had begun. And so the baptism of Jesus at this place is the christening that this is the Messiah and his ministry has begun. Now, this should be a fairly easy one. How many of you think that maybe this is the baptism to which you are all called? No. And if you say yes, we can talk after the service for just a minute because we have some business to do. The fifth one is the baptism by fire. This is Matthew 3, verses 11 through 12. Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, it reads like this. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat unto his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, this is not one of those exciting, encouraging passages where you go, woohoo, that's so fun to read. This is a sobering type of baptism, and I want you to hear what goes on here. Uh, I'll illustrate it. How many of you have a burn barrel? 
Anybody else have one of these? Aren't they great? Okay, if you live rural, you get to use the burn barrel. And this is where your non-recyclable burnables go. Please don't put plastic and rubber in the burn barrel. Can we just say that? But here's what happens. If you get the burn barrel just screaming hot, as soon as you throw trash in there, it burns it completely, and there's usually not much smoke. It's just complete consumption, and it's gone. And what's neat to me is I've been using my burn barrel for four years, and I'm almost ready to have to empty it. There's about this much ash in it after four years of burning in it because you see when it's completely consumed in that baptism of super hot fire the burn barrel's super efficient and there's just not a lot of ash left the baptism by fire is when jesus is separating the sheep from the goats and what he's saying is to those who knew him he says well done, my good and faithful servant. But to those who have rejected Jesus Christ, to those who have said, I want nothing to do with you, who have oppressed his church, rejected his gospel, taken his beautiful creation and used it for selfish means and given no glory to its creator and arrogantly said, we just evolved from an accident. To those who have defied the face of their creator, who made them simply to be in relationship and with love. To those like the burn barrel will be completely consumed. Now, how many of you would think that perhaps what Paul is speaking of in Ephesians is that all of us who are followers of Jesus would join the trash in the burn barrel and be consumed in the baptism of fire? No, because that would suck. So then now what we talk about is the sixth example. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is located in, in Matthew 3, 11 through 12, and I'd like to read that to you. I want you to listen. John, you might have just heard this, says, Now I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with an unquenchable fire." John was saying that a day is very soon to come when the Holy Spirit would baptize all peoples. This is a remarkable and an astounding statement that John understood because John understood the Old Testament. And Jesus taught that following him would be the paraclete, the Spirit would come and settle upon all peoples. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when the gospel comes and the Holy Spirit can indwell and fill those who follow Jesus Christ. What is really neat here is that in the New Testament, in God's complete and holy word, the word of God which tells us all we need to know and understand about our God gives us the three examples, the three illustrations of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They happen three places. Now, I might provide a hint, but can anybody tell me what those three places of the baptism of the Holy Spirit are? Three examples. Can anybody remember even one of them? Some really smart people in here. Come on. Pentecost. There you go. You went for the low-hanging fruit. Not a problem. That's where I went to. So at Pentecost, what? Oh, you are so my favorite right now. Yay. Okay, awesome. So you can always tell who the smart people in the room are. There's three. And I'm sorry for the picture. I forgot to get the right picture in here. So now you know I use templates. All right. Ta-da. So, so here's where we start. At the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and settles on him like a dove. Remember? And the heavens opened and you hear the voice of God saying, this is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. 
And so at that moment, we see this baptism, this immersing of the people in the Holy Spirit. And it's a way of saying all people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess with their mouth, can be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord can be saved. All right. All people. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the gospel, the affirmation of the true gospel is for all. The second time we see the Holy Spirit baptism is at Pentecost. Is that him now? Okay. (laughs) So at Pentecost, here's what happens. The Holy Spirit comes to the Jewish people at Pentecost, and the gospel is made known to the Jewish people, to God's people of the law. His holy called people are hearing the gospel, and now the gospel, the power, the filling, the message, the saving gospel of the Holy Spirit is available to all of the Jewish people who were gathered in Jerusalem at at the time of... of, um, My brain just totally stopped. It's... it's, uh, Passover, thank you. Sorry, I'm saying Pentecost. I can't get the other word in my hand, into my brain. I think that's like cognitive dissonance or age or something. I don't know. So at Pentecost, uh, at, at, what was it again? At Passover, all of these Jewish people from around the world are gathered from different languages and different cultures, but following the single religion of Yahweh God in Judaism. And at that point, the gospel came to the Jewish people. Now, what Cynthia mentions was that third baptism of the Holy Spirit we see in Scripture, and that happens in the house of Cornelius. And the house of Cornelius is what kind of a home? A Gentile home. Whoa, because now what happens is an affirmation that the gospel is also for the Gentiles, to which most of us in this room go, thank goodness. Woo, that's us too. I don't have to become Jewish to come to Jesus. And so what's happening now is we've seen for all people, for Jews and Gentiles alike. Does that remind you of any other verses we hear the Apostle Paul speaking of? He said, now, there's neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor man nor woman nor wealthy nor poor. We are all one in Christ. The gospel is for all. The baptisms of the Holy Spirit, the three that we see in history, is to Jesus, to the Jews, and to the Gentiles. Now, here's the question. Is the baptism of the Holy Spirit what each and every Christian who come to Jesus that Paul is speaking about in Ephesians 4, is that that baptism? See, that's kind of a, hmm, kind of yeah, kind of no. This is this good subject you can talk about at lunch now. If you're wondering what you're going to talk about at lunch with people, this is a great one to try to parse that out. Unless you've got your Pentecostal friends there and it's going to go a whole new way. But what I'm saying, this is a really good opportunity for us to wonder, man, are we baptized into the gospel that is for all people? Kind of yeah. But as it turns out, that's not specifically what Paul was talking about. Now, I told you there were seven. And I told you that of the seven, there was going to be one that is the baptism that all of us are called to, the baptism we hear in the Great Commission, where we're to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things as He's commanded you. And that is the one baptism we're looking for, the only one that all believers are called to participate into, this milestone moment, this defining moment, this turning point, this apex in life where you're saying, this fulcrum in life, that was the 
the past, and this is the future, and this is the way I go for Jesus Christ. Repentance, remember, it means I was walking a direction. Repent means I pivot and go a different direction entirely. The baptism that every Christian is called to follow Jesus in is baptism in the name of Jesus or believer's baptism. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2. Verses 36 through 38. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 38. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This is Jesus. Now when they heard this, they were... Oh, I'm sorry. This is Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism, you see, brothers and sisters, is when we are baptized in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can forgive us our sins. And the baptism of Jesus, if you've ever seen it done properly, is conducted like this. We are buried with him in death, under the water completely immersed, and rise again to walk in a whole new life. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you're raised again to walk in a whole new life. We are following in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and identifying amongst the church and to the world around us of who we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, what is Paul speaking of in Ephesians chapter 4 of the one baptism? And how many of us understand this is the baptism to which we're called? You see, that's it. This is who we are. This is our way of saying, I'm with Jesus completely. All that's gone before has died under the water. I'm identifying with him as a whole new creature. And from this day forward, I'm not a sinner. I'm not a failure. I'm not guilty. I am forgiven, loved, and called because I'm a member of the family of God. That's what baptism signifies. Now, here's what I hope. I hope that having heard all of these seven, I I hope that having identified the one, I hope that having become clear in what baptism means when we talk about it as Christians, that you would give some real thought to what happens on September 1st. Now, for 22 years ahead, Sturgeon Bay Community Church has conducted our baptisms annually on Labor Day weekend. Eh, Yeah, weekend before or after from time to time with weather, I get it. But 10 a.m., On September 1st, we will gather at Sunset Park for some really good food, some really good music, some really good games. We're going to have a blast, and a part of that celebration each year is baptism in the living water of the bay in front of the people who love Jesus and love you. And there is seldom a more exciting moment in our church's year that when hundreds of people gather on the side of the water and hoot and holler and clap and whistle when somebody's baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and becomes a part of the family of God in this body of believers, having that defining, memorable believers moment in their life that we get to share with. It's a pretty special moment. If that moment is for you, if it's come to your attention and into your life that you need to follow Jesus in that believer's baptism, have that defining moment in your life in front of your Savior and with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, if you would like to be a part of that moment, let me encourage you this way. As you check out today and you're heading out, if you'll stop by the ministry desk, you're going to find a little form looks like this. It defines believers' baptisms for the theologians among us. 
And on the next page, it's a simple application. You take that, you drop it in an offering box or at the church office or send an email to the church office at office at SB Community Church or Shannon at sbcommunitychurch.com and just says, hey, want to be baptized this year. Fantastic. We'll let you know. Join us at 9 o'clock on that Sunday. We'll have a brief meeting and get ready, and you too can be baptized. I just ask you to wear a bathing suit if you would. Let's not be awkward. But if, you would, uh, if you'd like to follow uh, with Jesus and believers' baptism, we'd encourage you to be ready to do that on September the 1st. Well, I think we've had a pretty good morning. I think we've covered some pretty heavy subject matter, but I think it's been understandable. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for hearing what the Scriptures have to say. Let's go to our God in prayer.